You're listening to the GamesIndustry.biz podcast. I'm James Batchelor, and this week I'm joined by... Ethan Gatch, staff writer at Kotaku. Cat Bailey, editor-in-chief of US Gamer. I'm Andy Robinson, editor of VideoGamesChronicle.com. And I'm Alex Donaldson, I'm the assistant editor on VG247.com. And as you can tell from the panel, we have a very different episode for you this week. We're going to be looking at the games media. Um, over the past year, Games Industry Obvious, we've covered uh, the impact of the pandemic and just general 2020 uh, on development, publishing, events management, networking, and various various other aspects of working in the industry. But we have yet to look at the media side of things. So this fine crew of editors and journalists with me is here to explore that. Um, I've got a number of talking points I'm hoping that we will cover naturally, but uh, I'm going to start off with a fairly broad question, open to anyone. What has been the biggest change to your role, your day-to-day work this year? How have you had to adapt? So, I mean, we're a very very news-focused website. Um, News and interviews is our our forte, so obviously not being able to go to events uh, has been uh, a huge kind of uh, transition for us this year. Um, I mean, last year we probably went to you know 10 plus events uh and obviously this year they've kind of all pretty much been shut down to to a to a single event um so that's that's been a big transition for us because they they're useful um as as networking events as much as obviously kind of gathering interviews and and stuff like that and it's uh you'd you'd think that I mean, obviously, I can't speak for everyone. We're we're an independent company, so we work very much in isolation. Um, you'd think that the transition to kind of video calls and and stuff like that would result in a, an increase or at least a the same amount of interviews. But certainly, from our experience, it seems that it's it's allowed publishers to kind of uh, be a restrain who they talk to a bit more. And certainly, I think if you look at the the general games media as a whole there have been far fewer interviews this year and you've seen uh, especially platform holders kind of pick and choose their favorites who they speak to um so that's been a big transition for us um especially yeah i think that they really wanted to tamp down coverage in general i think that if you aren't working for a polygon or a kotaku you had a harder time getting access to a lot of different things. <laughs> I think a lot of publishers also handled the way that they did preview coverage very differently. Um, to wit, EA sent me a gaming PC in the mail at one point in a huge crate <laughs> so that I could uh, preview Star Wars Squadrons, uh, which I then had to return. So uh, that was certainly one of the weirder here's, ones. Here's the demo. Summer. Build it yourself. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> well, that's PKA, I think. I would definitely, you know, I agree with all of that, of course. It's, it's the lack of events changes everything, and it's been really interesting to see the different ways different companies have approached previews and security where you've had some companies that have just decided to give you a steam branch and then deactivate it afterwards some companies just give you a steam branch and don't deactivate it some companies are using services like parsec for their own little live streaming thing uh, which is interesting it's just interesting to see how how we're getting around the lack of events i would also say for me personally uh, i'm somebody who works for a team that is entirely remote none of us none of us work in the office and so for 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 me and for i think a number of our team but i won't speak for everyone but certainly for me events were where i blew off some steam and and, mm. and got to interact with people and it would they were really good for, for for mental health and so losing events in that sense sucks too because you know it, it, we haven't been able to to go out and get these interviews but also we haven't been able to go out and see people that we like seeing and catch up with people and stuff like that or at least not to the same degree and so for me that's definitely the biggest change it's just been one finding out how we're going to get the content still and two finding out how we're going to stay sane <laughs> while doing mm. it as an american i felt like the first time I knew that this pandemic was serious business was when GDC mm. was canceled. And I was like, yeah. oh, okay, yeah, wow, no GDC. And then people started talking about E3 being canceled. And whew, and I had no idea, really. Yeah, I'd say at Kotaku, not much has changed uh, sort of in the day-to-day because we also have a lot of people who are remote. 
I am mostly remote, but was also commuting a few days a week into the New York office. Um, and so in, in some ways, my life has actually gotten easier and I've had more bandwidth to do work. But I'd say to Kat and Andy's point, it's uh, the, the lockdown by publishers and console uh, platforms for at, at these events, I think was probably the biggest overall difference. And you'll see people are a lot choosier with their interviews. I mean, it's, it's hard to overstate how much having to put bodies in front of people at an event forces uh, some greater level of accountability. Mm. Um, I know for you know Kotaku, Stephen Totillo, our editor-in-chief, and uh, a couple other people who would go to E3 each year, that's kind of, you know, we don't do a whole lot of pre-release coverage, but that's where you do, you know, it's easier to get interviews with the top executives at some of these companies and pose some of the more difficult questions because unlike in email or uh, in, in some other avenues, it's, it's harder for them to just blow you off and not look incredibly bad doing it. Um, and I'd say the other thing is just uh, team building is harder. We've had a lot of turnover at Kotaku recently, and it's you, it's harder to build the same level of trust and camaraderie um, just doing online stuff. I mean, you obviously can, and people have been, you know, and coming up through the ranks of, of, of the games press, you, you do a lot of remote work. But I think, uh, again, there's you can't, also overstate the amount of help just even like a few in-person meetings and chats like a week or a month can can really do for like uh a sense of mission and pride and and like just you know feeling like everyone's on the same page and jiving i've got to agree with them um, a lot a lot of points there obviously like, so game change up is we're a very different side of the media we are b2b rather than b2c so we're, we're less consumer facing that just changes the nature of our our coverage our work compared to yours in in different ways like not not entirely obviously it's not completely different but but there are there's some crossover but you know to alex's point meet you know going out to events like that's the bulk of our kind of original coverage comes from interviews um and you know and talks you know writing up talks that we've been to at conferences that are of interest to our readers and not being able to do that because there haven't been any i know that there have been a ton of digital events but and we'll kind of get that into it onto that in a minute but not being able to actually go and see people i'm kind of similar like we're an entirely remote based team and i felt a lot more detached this year because at least you know once a week at a point of the year like once a week i was going out into london or down to brighton where our office is or or off to an event or off you know abroad for an event or whatever i was going somewhere where i was seeing people real live 3d people not little boxes on my window while i'm you know on my screen while i'm doing a skype call or a zoom conference or whatever actual real live people and it, it does it does change how you you can interact with people um the the lack of events i think has been the, the biggest thing not just for that but um as, as you guys kind of touched on like the play testing and i think it's been a particularly interesting year obviously because the new consoles have arrived and i i don't remember any console transition here where the vast majority of journalists haven't been able to try the new consoles before they are out um i mean what are your your thoughts on how well that's been handled well that's a loaded question <laughs> <laughs> well i mean in a normal world, we would have all seen the big debuts for the consoles in what, mm. March, April? Probably would have gone to New York. There would have been the big E3 events, uh, the usual waves of, of coverage, uh, a big rollout. And instead, it all felt like everybody was adjusting on the fly. And uh, the consoles themselves felt a bit unready. I mean, the Xbox Series X uh, had problems with quick resume. The, the PS5 had its own issues. And... Uh, distribution was hugely affected uh, all and I, I think it's kind of a miracle that the consoles came out at, out mm. at all honestly because it's such a massive effort to even get these things out the door so in a way uh, kudos to Microsoft and Sony for making this work but at the same time yeah like it, it's 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 pretty it's pretty wild that I did not actually see a PS5 until it arrived on my doorstep on launch day. Yeah, and it definitely just felt like, well, it, it feels like the, the 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 rollout of the consoles to media um, from our perspective of covering them matched up to the game situation, right? Which was that a lot of stuff was getting pushed or wasn't ready and, and everything came in very hot, which obviously makes our lives a little bit more difficult. Um, it It's, yeah, it, what can you say about it really other than, you know, as Kat said, we would have had this lovely six month lead in and the tease of little bits of information and drips and drabs and game announcements and all that sort of stuff. 
but all that went out of the window and so it was all completely unconventional and so from our perspective from a working perspective it was very difficult for us to plan usually on our team we would very meticulously plan exactly how we were going to approach content as big as this it was pretty much impossible this time around in the sense that everything was changing up until I was lucky enough to get both consoles before release, but everything was changing up until the day they arrived. And at that point, we only had like a week until embargo. So at that point, you just do what you can, right? But on the flip side, uh, I think digital streams and that kind of thing became um, all the more important. I mean, Sony and Microsoft both hosted these really big event streams uh, for the PS5 and the Xbox Series X. And to some extent, we've already been doing this for quite a while with Nintendo Directs and whatnot, but uh, it felt like it got even bigger this year as more and more and more uh, publications, publishers, etc. were going to the digital medium in order to promote their products. And actually, I kind of expect that to remain the same going forward. I think a lot of publishers are going to go, why are we spending so much of our marketing budget on these huge reveal events when we could be getting so many eyeballs around the world on our particular system in a very curated way? I think overall it's it's just not been good for consumers. Um, I mean, I agree with what you said, Kat, that it's kind of, it feels like the removal of physical events has just removed a lot of accountability um, from behalf of the publishers. I mean, a lot of these games that they would have been announcing in these digital events, I mean, usually we'd get a chance to go and speak to the creators afterwards, you know, play them, see them, whereas that's now in, in complete isolation. I mean, they are kind of removed from accountability in that respect that games have been able to be announced this year and we, you know, we still only see these curated um, kind of game trailers or, or gameplay videos. Um, and then obviously I would say the same thing uh, about um, physical events and interviews. I think it was Alex that was saying earlier about, um, you know, how it's just easier for them to get more people in front of developers, um, uh, you know, when it's in a physical event and it's it's more difficult for them to, to dodge questions and, uh, you know, to, and to stock answers. I mean, certainly I've had plenty of interviews this year, um, especially over email, which um, I guess anyone in this, this chat would tell you uh i've very much hated by uh, journalists um unless you're chasing a, a print uh embargo uh because it just allows them just to kind of pick and choose what they want to answer oh i mean you know i'm not not naming names but i've had interviews just just legitimately go into the trash because what's come back yeah. is just not useful right and that 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 happens over email yeah i i, I found the same as you guys like we there's been a, a more of a push towards like email interviews or it feels like there's more of a push towards email interviews and they just the answers just aren't as organic and you know, the risk of ranting like you always you always get those companies who insist on like because they've worked together on the answer they want to have both the names on the quote but when you're reading that back it's you, you in your head you imagine like when the weasley twins talk in unison it's really creepy <laughs> like and it just and it just doesn't work and you don't understand why, why they don't understand that i get that they work together on this it just a, a conversation is just much more natural like also like when you do an email interview if, if you do an in-person interview at an event something can have happened at the event which will give you an idea for another question or something can be said in one answer that gives you an idea on how to rephrase or, or come yeah. up with or take the conversation on a different different tangent if you're you know preliminary preemptively deciding where the conversation is going to go with these set questions there is little to no wiggle room for any kind of yeah, you can't just adapt to the conversation. Like they come back with, right, here's your answers. And even if there's something like, oh, actually, I'd like to ask more about that. By that point, you've had all the time of theirs you're going to get. So that, that's that been quite limiting, again, through the lack of events. Yeah, I think one of the, you, if you look for one of the biggest uh, examples of that, you have Ubisoft, uh, a company that's been racked with allegations of misconduct mm. and different forms of abuse through, you know, throughout the summer and into the fall. And, and without any physical events, it's that much easier for them to not have to address it. Um, you know, you're, you're relying, how many times do we hear them say, Oh, we didn't have time or we couldn't formulate a, a response to, you know, include in our live stream or whatever, or the recorded live stream. And I think it just shows like when you, yeah, it's not just about being able to grill them on whatever their own marketing 
schedule is and what their talking points are, but actually like things that just happen throughout the year through reporting and discovery that they now lo no longer have to really, you know, they can, you're just waiting on a PR email and they may or may not come. Yeah, because in that in that regard, like it's it's been a hell of an eventful year. Not just like the pandemic, but obviously you had the Black Lives Matter movement. You had the various allegations. Obviously, a lot against Ubisoft, but against other companies as well. Um, you know, you've had more crunch stories this year. There's been so so many issues in the industry that the journalists and the media would want to dig into whether that's business facing like us or consumer facing like you guys. Like all of us, kind of there is an interest in digging into that and the kind of. Um, Exposing is a strong word, but no, it's raising awareness of what is happening out there. And it's just been easier for for developers and publishers to kind of hide, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I think that's just the nature of the access that they are granting at this particular moment. You can't pin down sources. And, and not only that, I mean, we were talking about networking earlier. When you go to an event, you can ask to have lunch with somebody you can meet up with various people and you can kind of get an unfiltered idea of what the actual situation is and that's just not it's it's possible because you can do it over twitter dm and everything but it's not as easy i think because people are more apt to clamp up as it were um on the internet i think i think you've hit the nail yeah on the head. nobody wants to discuss nobody wants to discuss like serious stuff over DM in mm. case someone's account is compromised, right? Like mm -hmm. uh, anything that they they don't want to go on the record for, you almost need to be in person. I mean, those 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 network events for me are a majority of the reason for going to uh, events like Tokyo Game Show, etc., where you can kind of build contacts and uh, speak informally. Uh, uh, you know, kind of these networking events that are set up, they're incredibly useful for a, for a news journalist. Yeah, one of the biggest things as a reporter is trying to build trust with uh, sources. And it is so much easier to do that face-to-face. -face. Um, you might not even be working on a particular story, but you, you can meet someone at an event and you can, like uh, Kat said, you can get lunch or just like chat at a booth about some stuff you've played. And it creates, you know, it, it, you all of a sudden have a personal relationship that doesn't exist when you are blind DMing someone or emailing and or cold calling. And it's, it's just that much harder you know, people who might want to talk to you about stuff but don't necessarily know you or trust you yet, it's it's that much harder to bridge that gap when mm. everyone's remote. There's also less of a balance or at least a shift in the balance. Like the reason those informal conversations are able to be had at events is because when you're attending an event, a conference or you know, E3 or whatever, generally your entire attention is on that event. You might be doing some work for your publication like in between hours and so forth, but your, your primary focus is the event you are at. This year, I know there's been like there's been so 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 many digital conferences, like online conferences, you know, live streamed conferences, but it's reversed. You're you're fitting that into your day to day. It's not like when when you're out at E3 or GDC or something, you're trying to fit your day to day work around doing the conference because your primary reason to be there is to get everything out of the conference that you, that you can. When you're doing your day to day work and then there's a conference to be working, you just you almost stick it on in the background because you can't. You've got your day to day duties to focus on. You can't completely separate to be you know, focusing on this the live streamed conference, and then, like you say, you can't have these informal conversations with anyone attending those conferences because even if even if you get caught up in like I don't know a YouTube chat or a, an email thread or Twitter DMs or whatever, you're then sending you're spending your time sitting on social media or like chat, and it's it's more of a distraction when you're sitting there typing someone you're sending messages to each other in between the work that you're doing rather than having an ongoing dynamic conversation yeah totally 100% agree with that 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 is that is the the biggest difference in that sense really is that even when there is a digital event your attention is inevitably divided in a way that it wouldn't be if you were there on the ground because even some of the um, some of the big live streams, like the Xbox and PlayStation ones, I cannot remember specific examples, but I, I've, I've got this fairly vivid memory of during one of those, some other big news story broke. And whereas, like, if you're at E3 or something, like, the only thing happening during the time of the Xbox conference is the Xbox conference. But during this live stream, none of the rest of the industry has to fit in with that. So something else happened. We have run loads of digital events this year. We've run uh, quite a few. And other things, we're running our own events, and yet other things are happening. 
happening, like news is breaking. We used to, we were joking at one point on the team that like whenever, whichever day we decided to run an event, no matter how far ahead we planned, something big would happen that day that someone suddenly had to give up their event duties and cover for the site because that's still happening. I mean, I don't know what everyone else thinks, but I, I think it's, I mean, obviously with a caveat that uh, we're in a very challenging uh, pandemic uh, and everyone's have, uh, you know, really it's it's very impressive, um, kind of as Kat alluded to earlier, that stuff like the, the consoles have released at all. Mm. And some of these huge open world games that have, have come out have managed to kind of ship, which is the hardest part of game development um, remotely. Um, however, from my perspective the the digital events have just been a mess um i mean even from consumers i think it's been confusing um i think the vast majority of them have been underwhelming um and as we've kind of discussed up until this point i don't think that consumers especially have kind of got the 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 value from the way they've been presented because uh, journalists have not had the opportunity to cover these announcements properly Mm. When you say that the events were kind of a mess or kind of underwhelming, uh, can you give me some examples? Um, well, I remember back around May time when, uh, especially, well, I think it was the um, Jeff Cayley's uh, uh, summer initiative, kind of around the start of that, when it, it felt like we had an event every single day. I think they were very difficult to keep track of. I think a lot of them were set up just purely uh, for the sake of setting them up. Um, you'd have various companies that um, you know would have been behind these physical events that would have had a commitment to carry on doing them and they didn't end up having any substance um, I think from no fault of uh, of, of the companies them, the, themselves um, they've not really had time to you know put their announcements together I, I don't think there were meant I mean how many digital events have we had this year it's got to be 20 30 plus easily I don't think there's many of those that I would say were genuinely really good I think the interesting thing is, obviously, we're recording this the day after the Game Awards, right? Mm. And I think the interesting thing is about that as an event is people joke and call it the game adverts or whatever. But the interesting thing is the awards are almost a hook upon which they can hang announcements and stuff as a digital event. One of the things that the other digital events, like you mentioned, the Summer Games Festival or whatever it was called, which obviously, you know, same man behind it ultimately. But there isn't that central conceit to mm. that of we're going to do the awards or whatever so you did end up with this the, this disparate list of events that were going on where you had an excel spreadsheet and there were things going on at all sorts of weird hours and they weren't really connected and i totally get what you mean when you say that can be confusing for readers for consumers yeah the journalist jeff grubb was talking about the jeff grubb summer game mess because he was one of the few people who seemed to have a centralized list of what the heck was going on this summer yeah and it, and it's true, right? That was the fact that yeah. that was incredibly useful. Kind of said a lot, you know, being able to someone who was actually helping us keep track of of what was going on, and a lot of these events as well were, you know, they were weaker separately. Um, I, I thought. I mean, I'm not talking from a marketing point of view. I'm sure that if there, there was a marketeer from Sega or somewhere like that, for example, who could come in this call, they'd give me a myriad of reasons about why it was so much better that they could kind of escape the the noise of E3. But from a consumer point of view, from a pure excitement uh, point of view, some of these companies just, uh, you know, don't have enough to to justify a big digital event that we're going to count down to and, you know, all jump into and and discuss for an afternoon. Yeah, if if you don't mind me defending E3 for a moment. Oh, no, I love love E3, by the way. Well, I I love it more after this year. (laughs) (laughs) I had to to double take that I even said that there. Uh, At least from my perspective as somebody who was running a mid-sized site, I kind of relish the ability to, A, usually I would be getting interviews that I wouldn't as easily be able to get at in other venues. Um, and I kind of relish the challenge of being able to get as much information or interesting news as, as possible out to our readers before anybody else. Um, beyond that, I think that it's just more exciting and more interesting when all of this is coming out in one focused mm. burst in a showcase event as opposed to dribs and drabs over the mm, course of the absolutely. entire summer, which is what happened this year. And frankly, it got boring after a while. Yeah, 100%. Well, you know, super hardcore users, right? They will they will book 
a couple of days, you know, they'll book the E3 conference day off work and they will plant themselves in front of their mm. computer and, or, you know, they'll skip school or whatever and they'll plant themselves in front of their computer and watch all that stuff back to back. And that, that's the value of that is that the people who really care like that can, can really immerse themselves in it. And actually for the more casual people, it means that they can sort of wake up and, and check WhatsApp and see what their friends are saying or log into a discord server or hit up their news site, and everything's there in one day. Whereas across this summer, if you wanted to get all the news, you were probably going to have to check these webs, you know, check websites a couple of times a week, every week for six to eight weeks, which is great for us in theory. Um, but you know, for the consumer again, probably less convenient. And I feel like a lot of the bigger games weren't really showing anything anyway because they wanted to have the kind of the perfect showcase. Uh, for example, uh, usually you see a lot of sports games being revealed uh, around E3 or getting the first chance to actually go hands-on with them. We didn't see the next-gen versions of FIFA and Madden until literally <laughs> the day they came out, like properly play them. Yeah, it's, it's a double-edged sword. I'll say it, there were definitely probably a lot of games that uh, publishers were happy to not have to show early. Mm -hmm. um, but on the flip side, I'm sure there was also a ton of developers who were relieved to not have to be working on some E3 build or you know uh, presentation or, or having to do certain talks because, and then they can just focus on what they're working on instead without having to like take a third of their year and start devoting it to like this this the marketing hype. So E3 E3 can be really intensive for those who attend on behalf of the publishers and, and the platform holders. I cannot remember which company it was and I probably wouldn't be able to say if I did, but I swear to remember I, I I was talking to a PR at one company who said like after E3 week, obviously like they're there the week before to prepare, then you've got the intensity of E3 week and then the weekend after. So like if E3 finished on the Friday, Saturday Sunday was like a company-wide meeting to kind of debrief and talk about like the other the the year ahead and it's like that's just too much for anyone james as, as somebody who's done many many e3s as a journalist and has done a few as a game developer as well recently um i mean i used to i used to think that they had it easy <laughs> um on the kind of uh, the, the game development side because i mean as a journalist at e3 you're covering so much ground you're going from appointment to appointment you know, having to to cover, you know, prepare and cover very disparate topics with different people uh, that you only have limited time to uh, to, to kind of cover. Um, so I've, I thought they had a lot easier until I did it myself. And it's probably the most stressful thing I've ever done is E3 as a developer. Um, you know, it's mentally a lot tougher as well. Uh, staying, staying in the same place all day, you know, back to back to back appointments for 12 hours, um, you know, hardly any breaks, doing the same thing again and again and again, you know, having to, I've, I've, you know, had to put the booth together and it's, it's not fun. I've got a lot of, res a lot of respect for those guys, certainly a lot more than I did when I was ignorant. I've been lucky enough to do E3 once and I remember going out naively thinking, oh, this is just going to be like e GDC or Gamescom, but bigger. And I remember, I think I got to like Wednesday was like the first official day of E3, having been there from Friday and covering conferences from Saturday. I was like, I feel like I've been here forever. Like I, I was, I was so broke. I did, I didn't know which day it was. So yeah, I absolutely agree. Like it's, it's, it's a hard work that week, but there are advantages to it and disadvantages to it as we've been discussing. I think the, the thing that I appreciated when I did it as a developer, I think I did two, two or three as a, as a developer. Um, what I started to appreciate. Uh, is that when I was a journalist, you'd get to see lots of different interesting things and speak to lots of different interesting people. So even though it was physically uh, tiring having to kind of run around uh, these these big convention centres and the nearby hotels, it was it was mentally stimulating because you were seeing lots of exciting stuff. You know, at the end of the day, when you had a beer, uh, you'd have tons to talk about. What's funny is that this pandemic has been going on long enough now that I kind of forgot that even these events even happened. <laughs> like, I was like going, oh, right. Yeah, like we do go places and meet people. Uh, and those are exciting. Weird. Okay, yeah. Like I, I had to recalibrate my brain a little bit because I've become so used to just sitting in my house all the time, uh, following all the social media feeds and uh, DMing with people. And it's funny to, to what Andy just said as well about, you know, it's stimulating for media. 
that's another impact of losing events this year actually is that although you are you know running around horrified always late having to rearrange stuff just massive headache at e3 you also do have those quiet moments where you walk past the booth and you see an interesting game and you make a mental note and then if you do get five free minutes you come back and see that game you don't have that in in these digital events really to the same degree and even if you do they're pretty much never playable so that's something that's lost the ability to just discover random little things like as as somebody who who also runs a website with a niche uh, you know uh, it's it's you lose a lot through losing that i mean absolutely i think it's it's been acknowledged in uh and especially a lot of gi business coverage actually that it's it's been tough for indie developers right because they've lost that discoverability mm. you know exactly what you you said i mean there every year there and every show there would be a game that totally took you by surprise um that then kind of leads to something a lot bigger so it does make you think i mean how many how many small teams have missed out because of that that removal of of the physical events I don't know. I kind of almost don't want to overstate our importance on that front because I feel like a lot of indie discoverability comes either through uh, showcase events, um, for example, being showcased in a trailer during a Sony event and being able to piggyback on that reach or from being highlighted by a major influencer. I, I mean, I think Among Us is extremely pop, became the biggest game of one of the biggest games of 2020 simply because it was streamed by somebody popular at some point. Um, so I don't know. I don't know ultimately if we, if indie developers missed out on as much as we think from a discoverability standpoint from events, um, maybe they could speak to that better. Certainly they've lost networking opportunities, certainly at places like GDC, but yeah, I mean, it obviously, for uh, GDC was what I was thinking of, and obviously those events, it's not just the media um, interaction they've missed out on there. It would have been, you know, speaking to the platform holders face-to-face. And, I mean, this is, uh, this is ultimately a challenge that's facing a lot of industries, right? I mean, I think we should probably also acknowledge that we're very, very lucky to have been working in games this year, um, you know, because there are obviously a lot of, other industries that have um, had to practically shut down. Yeah, agreed. Well, on that note, I kind of want to steer, because we, we could probably fill the full hour on on the impact of events going, but I kind of want to steer the conversation towards games has benefited is a strong word, but it, it it's it's what's happened we've kind of been we kind of stumble over it over it throughout the year games has benefited from the pandemic in that more people have been at home spending time playing games buying games um engaging with them and engaging with the media around them so on that note has the demands for your content changed at all have you found yourself like there are more people on your site or there's a more pressure to kind of get coverage out there regardless of how we get it because i think we've been just discussing that quite well there uh, like has the basically the engagement the interest in your sites have they ch- has that changed this year i mean i i think it's a it's a very difficult question for us to ask uh, i mean we're not I mean, I used to work within uh, a big publishing company where, you know, we'd work alongside a lot of different publications and you'd have a much clearer idea uh, of, of what the broad uh, kind of impact was. So, uh, you know, from the, the, the context that I'm working as an independent, it's difficult to see because this year, I mean, we've, we've had a fantastic year, but where, where one, we're a very new publication, we've only been open for 18 months. Um, and two, it's also the year that everyone plans around. There's always going to be a huge uh, explosion in audience this year because there's more content in the market. Um, you know, the, the year before, the new platforms always kind of suffers as well because, for the same reason, because you have less content in the market and you have this dip. Um, I think it'd be very naive to say that it hasn't benefited us because, you know, you only have to look at the, the broad kind of... Um, benefits that games have had you know significantly uh um, boosted by you know social isolation um i mean on the other hand we don't publish content like guides and stuff like that that i imagine probably would have benefited by people playing more 
um, you know, we're more kind of capturing the 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 kind of the interests of enthusiasts who who want to see what's going on in the news. Um, yeah, that's that's. I don't think I really answered the question, but I'd be interested to hear what the others have to say about that. From so, my perspective, uh, there was a huge surge in traffic in March, <laughs> like a gigantic one. Uh, we set a single day traffic record for the site by a good measure when Animal Crossing came out, and that wave kind of lasted through April because uh, I think that that was when the first round of lockdowns were happening in Europe and um, and elsewhere. And so as a consequence, people were watching streamers, they were watching Netflix, they were playing uh, video games. Um, and then the summer hit and I felt like, first of all, the, the release schedule ebbed a little bit. We, we did get Last of Us and we got, you know, Ghost of Tsushima and all that. But beyond that, it was a little bit bare. And I think people kind of got burned out a little bit because they had been in quarantine for X amount of time. <laughs> and so our traffic, uh, our, our traffic, you know, leveled off, I would say. But th that first month in particular, when everybody was like, oh, I'm cooped up indoors, time to play all of the video games. And then come October, people were... Uh, you know, dealing with their own issues and dealing with their own burnout from the pandemic, I think. Yeah, I, I will concur with everything Kat just said there. Like March, April, May was really, really interesting. Animal Crossing, obviously, the standout. But even like, I would love to see the like the trophy calculations for like a game like Final Fantasy VII Remake because I feel like for a, a role-playing game of that style, way, way more people seem to finish it and get to the or at least get to the later stages of the game than most are used to mm. for that sort of thing um, and i think that was because people were trapped inside people were like i'm gonna finish this damn game uh, but then yeah it, it seemed like things normalized it seems like things uh it seems like people did burn out get a little bored play a little bit less then obviously some lockdowns were lifted and we didn't have a similar bump when lockdown sort of began to come back in when the winter weather brought back uh, the colder weather brought back sort of a, a further surge of the virus, even in the countries where it had been more under control. And that's actually interesting because even though we had the new hardware, I think everyone's done well off the new hardware and everyone has set some, uh, in some cases have set records and everyone's had lovely growth and stuff like that. But the interesting thing is that's actually the impact of the pandemic in another sense, which is just that uh, through games either getting pushed or, or coming out in not an optimum state and stuff like that, for, for, from a perspective of content like guides and post-launch content like that, I think that's actually hurt traffic a little bit. I think had this year been a normal year with the hardware launches, I think traffic probably would have been a bit better in the back half of the year because I think there would have been a bigger boost because there would have been more exciting stuff. But as we said earlier, the, the rollout of the consoles to media, our ability to do the, do the preview hits and stuff like that was impacted so much that some of that traffic was inevitably lost. I also think there's a, there's a question of how do you speak to the new readers who are coming in? Because you know I think Animal Crossing is an important one because not only was it coming out um, just as uh, many places were shutting down, but it was also a game that people even sort of you know off and on uh, play games or used to play a lot of games in the past, but really haven't as much. Like Animal Crossing is a is a uh, and Nintendo, it's an easy touchstone. It's like, all right, this is something that's familiar. It's a sort of uh, a game that is much more, I feel like, you know, it's it's less bound by some of like the esoteric logics of playing a, a shooter or like a very dense RPG. And, and it's like, you can have a lot of people playing and enjoying this game, but they're not necessarily interested in the same sort of coverage that the normal diehard readership is. They're, you know, what they're, they, they might not be as interested in um, new stuff stuff that's coming to the game so much as like you know having uh getting really excited about a particular character or you know what what it, this, this sort of culture around some games after they release whether it's on uh twitter or tiktok or reddit and it's like i think there's people who want to hear about what's going on within the community of a game um and not necessarily so much like the the ongoing news cycle of of what of stuff that's getting announced or that's that's being added and that i think it's a partly a struggle to reach those new readers coming in 
like after a game comes out you know it's like the person who has been playing animal crossing all year um you know how are you reaching them still with the story in november as opposed to uh April. I think it's something similar for Final Fantasy and, and for a lot of games that maybe have broader mass appeal, but those people might not want to read about them in the same way as your standard audience. We're starting to run low on time, so there's a few other things I kind of want to tackle. Um, and Ethan and Kat, if you're all right, I'd, I'd like to look at the the more severe impacts we've seen on media this year. Um, in you know, We've seen layoffs and closures across uh, the industry, so um, Kotaku UK closed down um i know that that was less of a i mean it's not less of an impact but like that was a licensing deal with a uk publication um so it wasn't like a an entire division of kotaku it was like the the brand was licensed out to another media company my understanding is and they that company stopped decided to stop doing it but then cat obviously by now we know that um us gamer is um closing just from your point of view like the how much the, the the pandemic and the economic impact of this of this just turbulent year, to put it mildly, has had on the media landscape? I feel like we're not even beginning to understand how devastating this pandemic is going to be on the broader economy. I think, um, interestingly, I feel like the actual ad spends haven't been impacted as much as we were kind of expecting from companies, at least at the outset, especially because video games um, remain a pretty robust, uh, you know, sector. But I wouldn't be surprised if in the coming year, things get affected a bit um, as companies are trying to pick up the pieces from um from the pandemic and reorient. I mean, this was a console launch year, so a lot of companies were really already preparing to go all out. I mean, what are they going to look like next year? Um, as people may know, video game websites are dr- are largely driven by ad spending. So that is like a, a concern. Um, and then of course, uh, when it comes to, <laughs> when it comes to US Gamer, I mean, the sites that, how should I put this? We are tied to an events business. There were no events this year, and that had a very powerful impact um, on our parent company's bottom line. And uh, subsequently, um, US Gamer, a site that over the years has managed to carve out a fairly good niche for itself, but hasn't maybe been able to hit the traffic highs that they had originally hoped for or planned for back in 2013 when it originally launched, um, ended up on the uh, ended up on the chopping block, which is really disappointing because I thought that we had really good coverage and and everything like that. And I think that in a lot of ways we were hitting our stride and uh, trying a lot of um, new and interesting things. But you know the pandemic happened and we kind of. Uh, and they cut back heavily, and uh, we ran out of rope. And uh, that's, uh, if not for the pandemic, we would still be here. And that's the long and the short of it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this this business sucks. Like, <laughs> it's, I don't know anyone who feels secure in their job or confident that, like, not not even just that, like, you know, your, your company or your position might survive, but just, like, that, that there's, like, five years out there's a plan like oh this is a, a career i can keep doing i feel like everyone in the back of their head is like you know has the the b c and d like trapdoor exits like okay you know when things go inevitably go south um i you know as kotaku being one of the few unionized shops i feel like in games media um i think one of the few i mean when business is bad it's not like you know uh, a union is going to save uh, people's jobs or, or, or magically make the math turn out okay. Um, but I think obviously one thing it does is give people a seat at the table to sort of like manage how people will be impacted and make sure that those impacts are more equitably distributed and also help to, you know, give people more support. Um, it, it, I, I think, you know, US Gamer is an example of like, there's a version of US Gamer that, you know, you just 
the company who owns it weathers the year and they decide that, no, this is an important long-term investment and we're not going to let a particularly bad quarter or fiscal year undermine that. Um, but I think even outside of the, you know, suffering from the events business, I think just a lot of the companies who own games, media brands in general are extremely nearsighted and, uh, I, I, and and don't necessarily have an understanding of that particular business or what the realistic expectations are, and ultimately the people that end up paying the price for the a lot of those uh, uh, lack of of understanding or foresight are the people who are you know creating the content and doing the work, um, and it's extremely frustrating to watch as you see uh, good websites and talented people, um, you know being forced to bear the brunt of that i mean this this rings all too true to me um i mean i wouldn't be i mean i'm I'm 34 years old i wouldn't be doing this if i didn't uh you know now own my own company um you know cat's cat's experience was uh it, it, what she's going through now is is exactly what i went through myself at, at future um in in 2014 15 uh when kind of um struggles in the wider business uh, resulted in you know kind of directors looking at what they could chop and um, you know certainly it's it's no reflection on the quality of uh, of a publication I mean especially a publication like US gamer is going to be a big miss um, in the games media there's there's not many publications out there um, doing what they were doing um, but that's it's it's capitalism isn't it I mean I've certainly had many many years to mull over you know my own experience and um i wouldn't do it again if i if, if it you know outside of this my current situation where you know we started our own company um and we're very very fortunate that we had you know a lot of great support and it, it took off very quickly um you know hopefully i can from my own personal experience learn from uh you know some of my my past experiences to to help kind of shape our, our company into something that, that that this stuff doesn't happen at but it's um it's it's tough i think that a lot of these media uh, sites are started with sort of grandiose expectations of what is actually popular and possible in terms of revenue but just in the past 5 years or so i think that there's a huge, been a huge amount of added competition in the video game space um, in particular. A lot of websites rely on guides and that kind of thing to generate page views. And, and now we see things like Newsweek and The Telegraph and newspapers uh, stepping into the space <laughs> to uh, generate all kinds of uh, crazy competition. Websites can't scale up to the extent that people want so they'll invest for a bit and they'll go, well, this isn't growing as much as I want to. Well, go away. <laughs> and, that's, and that's why we have so much uh, churn in the media in general and the video game media in particular. I, I will say also to what you said, Kat, about, about advertising. Um, obviously, I, I have no involvement in any advertising hmm. or money-related stuff on VG247, but I do own uh, and run my own niche website. And I can say over there, you know, uh, we've seen like record breaking advertising this year. And that's been because you've got companies with marketing budgets that were originally intended to power trade shows mm. and all sorts of stuff like that. And, you know, it's, it's that classic big company thing, right? Of you end up in that situation and you spend it or lose it. <laughs> so they spend it. Um, but my concern actually is this was always going to be a big year for advertising because of the consoles, because of everything going on. You know, the run up to the consoles, you, you would expect Sony and Microsoft to spend a lot of money indeed afterwards and all that sort of stuff. But what we've now got from my perspective as someone who runs a website going into next year and possibly 2022 as well is the knock on effect of COVID and all the things around that on game development the delays to games, are we now going to see a significant slump where there's less games because a lot of stuff's been delayed, which therefore means there's less marketing money to go around, which means less advertising spend for the games media. Not a, In addition to the fact that if there's less big games like that, it also means there'll be less of that fodder for guides, for hot news, whatever. And that's my 
concern going forward for other publications. It's terrible what's happened to some places this year, but my concern is that we could be going into a couple of rough years, actually. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it feels it feels like it's a it's a kind of make hay while the sunshine situation. Um, I mean, certainly, I, I totally agree with you, and, and a lot of the kind of noise that you hear coming out of big game publishers um, kind of matches that that probably we're not going to appreciate the real impact of the pandemic, certainly on game production until uh, well into next year. Yeah, this year was the earthquake and next year we're going to be fe- seeing the tsunami, mm. uh, as it were. Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, that, that kind of leads on to my final questions. We started discussing this already. Like, what do you guys expect to happen in the, the media landscape in 2021 and beyond? Like, what what's the next step? But it sounds like we've already kind of hinted at that. But like, anything you want to add, I guess? Uh, my, my, my fear is that it's going to be business as usual. Um in terms of, uh, I mean, I can't see events coming back anytime soon, um, mm-hmm. which is disappointing for me because, you know, I echo everything that everyone said here. Professionally, it's what I love doing. It's what I think I'm good at. Um, it's what we uh, we kind of specialise in. You know, I miss the mental health side as well, um, totally. Um, you know, I miss chatting with, you know, all of the guys in, in this on this podcast, Um it's uh, it'll be it'll be a big miss um, if they don't come back, and I don't think they will for a, a long time. I think we'll have events coming back maybe in the late summer or fall. <laughs> yeah, I'm setting my sights on Gamescom. Like that's yeah. my my, yeah. my hope and my prayer, right? I'm ho- I'm hopeful to see you know uh, Future Union has been uh, negotiating this year for their first contract, and I'm hopeful that you know there's been a despite the fact that the media landscape overall, just even outside of games has been, uh, you know, apocalyptic for, uh, decades now. Uh, I think you're seeing more, especially online publications than ever start to form unions. Uh, just realizing that like, it's not, it's, it's not a thing like, Oh, we'll try to do this. And then everyone's just going to get laid off and it's going to get shut down. It's like, no, this can actually work. And it's a way that, um, if it's actually the only way that you can hope to weather any coming storms in terms of trying to, whether it's creating severance packages for people or creating uh, salary floors um, to stop people from, you know, uh, being underpaid it's, or, or, or even just being overworked as traffic goals continue to go up. Um, I'm, I'm hopeful that people will be uh, somewhat fed up and, and, and see that, you know, I have worth and, and, and we, our teams have worth and we can actually exercise that to, to, you know, have a say in how our sites are being uh, run and, and what their ultimate fate will be. That is all the time we've got. So I just want to say a massive thank you to this panel for joining me this week. They've uh, really, really appreciated your time today. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you much. In the meantime, listeners, thank you so much for joining us. Um, Check out your podcast platform of choice for all previous episodes, including our Game Developers Playlist and five games of specials. Uh, We will be back next week with our Games of the Year show. Uh, So do hope you'll join us for that. In the meantime, you can get all your news, insight and analysis into the world behind video games at gamesindustry.biz. (laughs) 